Now, before we read, I want to take this opportunity to thank all the Lord's people here in Midland Park and the supporting assemblies for the opportunity to be with you for this weekend. And I believe that God has visited us. And as you have just been exhorted and exhorted during the course of this weekend, let's go away different than we came. That it will have its desired, the ministry of the Word of God will have had its desired effect in our life. Thank you, everyone, for all of your practical ministry, for the hospitality, the fellowship, the good food, and for your kindness. We're grateful. Now, we're going to read together, first of all, in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. Hebrews and chapter 13. Hebrews 13, and we'll read at verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. I'll read that just a little differently. Remember your your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. Now just back a page to chapter 12 and verse number 2. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such hostilities of sinners against himself. Now look at Philippians, please, in chapter 3. Philippians and chapter 3. Verse 10, Philippians chapter 3. I've often marveled at these words. This was not at the beginning of Paul's life, this was at the end. And his burden still is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Look down at verse 13, brethren. I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived yet. I'm not everything God wants me to be yet. But this one thing I do. On this one thing I focus. Forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth 
unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And last of all, in the second epistle to Timothy and chapter 4. Second Timothy and chapter 4. Sometimes when you read the scriptures, maybe it's just me, sometimes I like to use my imagination. But um, when you begin at verse 6, it's almost preceding verse 6, there's a, a deep sigh. There's a long, deep sigh. And he says this, as for me, I am now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And so, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me. Not an angel. The Lord shall give me. At that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also, that love his appearing. Verse 10. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present age, and is gone away. He is departed. Now, God will, God has blessed his word. And just for a few moments at the close of the afternoon meeting, I would just like to very quickly review what we have considered in connection with the truth of my life and yours as a Christian. And an examination and a review of our lives. And in view of the future, however many days or years that God gives to us. God has left us here for a reason. I've often thought it would be really would have been really great if after the Lord saved me, he just took me to heaven. It'd been easier that way. I wouldn't have learned anything about God. And uh, God has purposes for all of us. And so he's left us here for that reason. And as someone has said, we're immortal until God's ready to take us. So just very briefly, we looked at First of all, what was very personal. We looked at the facts and facing those facts from Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Search me. It's like taking a look in the mirror and actually seeing what we see and acknowledging that what we see are the facts. Search me, O God. We thought about the idea of firm on a foundation and the truth of examining what we really believe. What we're resting on. One man was asked, um, he was a churchgoer, and they said, so um, what, what do you believe, sir? Well, I, I believe what my church believes. And so what does your church believe? Well, the church pretty well believes what I believe. And so what do you both believe? Well, we believe about the same thing. And it does make us smile. But is there some part of that that just maybe resonates a little bit? 
What do you believe? What do I believe? Actually, what is the foundation upon which we rest and upon which we practice? We read about um, feeding or fighting the flesh. We read solemnly about fearing a fall. Of whatever sort it may be, moral or otherwise, fearing a fall that would bring a mark and a stain to our own testimony personally, to God's assembly, to our families, whatever the case may be. May God help us to be very, very careful in our life today and from this day forward until the Lord takes us. We read about fellowshipping, keeping company with faithful friends. There was a, uh, a little sort of remote um, African village, and God had been pleased to work and to save a number of people in that village. And um, the Christians there, they, they had begun to practice something, and that was that they would sort of go off uh, off of the little the little compound of where they they lived and go back through the bush a little bit find a thicket and and that was their their closet that's where they prayed and uh, it was a practice and it was uh, so well carried out that that uh, there was a path that was worn away from all other houses there was this path that was worn back to where they got alone with god there was something else they did All the others, they kept an eye on those paths. And when it was necessary, they went to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so and said this, Brother, there's grass growing on your path. That's a faithful friend. That's someone who cares. And then we spoke about forging the future. Now, this afternoon, there are three more that I will try as simply as I can to leave with you. And what we have read, first of all, has to do with following in faith, following a faithful heritage. Following a faithful heritage. Now, could I say this? That I don't think that any of us has any idea how influential example is. You say, but I'm a a young person. No one's really watching me. You have no idea who is watching you and what they are seeing when they watch you. Every one of us is a, is an example, is a, an ambassador, is a representative of that one whose name we bear. I am Christian. That means a Christ follower, a Christ imitator, and people learn about Christ through what they see in you and in me. There was a cross-country bus tour. And as they do, and as you've likely seen every so often, of course, they have to stop. And so there was a lunch stop one day, and uh, the man who was driving the bus, uh, before anyone got, anyone got off, where they stopped at the depot, there was uh, four or five restaurants in the area. And he said, he said, now, it's company policy that we are strictly forbidden from, by name, mentioning any uh, places to eat, any of the restaurants. And he said, so, um, if you need me during the half hour that we're stopped for lunch, I will be at Tony's Diner across the street. Now, guess where most everyone 
who was on that bus went to eat. Why? Tony knows what he's talking about. He's been here lots of times before. He has the experience. If we want to get a good meal, let's follow Tony. I wonder, I wonder if there's someone in, in your life, in your experience, and that person is someone that you would love to be like because they are, are like who you think a spiritual man or woman is. Thank God for them. And yes, you keep your eye on that person. Whose faith follow, we read. The, the, the prospect of someone watching me... Uh, I don't think any one of us, any one of us here, I, I know I certainly wouldn't dare say what the Apostle Paul said, but this is what he said. He said, be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. And we read those words from Philippians chapter 3, where Paul, even with so many years' experience and so many things, events that occurred in his life, he said, I want to get to know him in a fuller, deeper measure. Whether it means these sufferings and fellowshipping in those sufferings. I want to learn the power of his resurrection. And you go back to chapter 20, or chapter 1, verse 21. He says this. We all know the verse. To me, he says, to me, to live is Christ. And to die is more of Christ. It's gain. Following faith and following a faithful heritage. One day, a stray dog ended up at the door of a preacher's house. And the boys in that house fell in love with the dog, and they took it in, and they, you know, how it goes. There was, there was something just a bit unusual about that dog. Uh, I, I'm not sure exactly what color it was. It was dark, but in the tail of that dog, there were three white hairs. Some uh, little time later, and they had, uh, they had seen that there was a, uh, a poster out. People were looking for a lost dog. And in that, um, in that poster, it said, uh, you can tell which dog it is because it has three white hairs in its tail. Well, that preacher and his three sons sat down one day with that dog and separated out the three hairs and pulled them out. The man who owned the dog somehow or another found out where the dog was and came to the house, and it was obvious by the dog's recognition that it knew him and knew the family. And he was about to leave with it, and the preacher said, Wait a second. He said, I thought the poster said um, it had three white hairs. The man went away without the dog. And that preacher, with great sorrow and turmoil in his heart, said, We got to keep the dog. I lost my three sons for Christ. They watched me and realized I didn't practice what I preach. The power of example. You find a godly man, a godly woman, a peer, someone that you know is living for God. You find that person, and you follow their manner of life. 
follow the faithfulness of a life like that. Now, we have uh, we've heard during, even today, we've heard about um, several. I'll just mention them in passing. We were just hearing about Gideon. And you remember that a little bit later on when he was about to win, or about to engage the Midianites, uh, a group of 300 men engaging an army of one million at least. Here's what Gideon said to them. He said, as you see me do, you do the same. Just do what I do. And here's these 300 men, and they've watched um, 30, well, 31,000, whatever the number is, uh, 31,700 other people leave. And now it's just 300 of them. And, and we're following this man, and we're facing an army of a million soldiers, and what he's telling us to do is just do what he does. Well, they did. Because he was listening to God. The example that was there, they followed. They won. Think of Abram and Lot. We've heard about Lot today, this morning. If we go back to Genesis and chapter 12, you remember that God had called Abraham or Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He said, I, I want you to come out and then I want you to go in. God never leaves us in a vacuum. I want you to come out. But he didn't just leave them hang. There's somewhere I want you to go. Go into Canaan. This is where I want you to be. I have plans for you, Abram. And they're plans that, that you, you can't even imagine. And then when we get to the end of, of, of that chapter, we read that uh, Abram went down into Egypt. And we get to chapter 13 and verse number 1. We read that Abram and his wife and the things that they had came out of Egypt and Lot went with them. We don't read until chapter 13. We don't know that Lot had watched his uncle go away from the place that God told him to go. But he watched his uncle go down into Egypt. And when it finally came to the time where Abram and Lot had to divide their men and their goods and their riches because they were both rich men, It says that Lot lifted up his eyes to the watered plains of Jordan. He didn't get his eyes very far. He saw an uncle go down into a place that often reminds us of the world. And that seemed never to have left. Because when he was deciding for his future... When he was in his 2012 and looking to 2013, if you will, he didn't get his eyes high enough. What did God tell Abram to do? Chapter 15, is it? He says, look up to the heavens. You see, Abraham had a different look. The sad thing is that there was an example set that perhaps Lot followed. And it was the ruination and the loss of almost everything dear that Lot had. There was a Naomi and a Ruth. And we love to we love to read about that story of Ruth. We love to quote the words um, from chapter one, verse sixteen. Remember he said to Naomi, who said, Go back, just, just go home, go back to your father's house, and she said, Don't don't beg me to leave. She said, Because where you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people are going to be my people. Where you die, I'll die. 
where you're buried, I'll be buried. Where did she learn that? She was a Moabitess. She was from an idolatrous country. Where did she learn to stand for God Jehovah? Where did she learn that? I don't believe it was from her husband. I don't believe it was from her father-in-law. It certainly wasn't from her sister-in-law. But I believe it was from Naomi, a faithful woman who says very little as far as the first part of the chapter is concerned. But here is a young woman, and she decides, I am going to watch this woman who has come from the land of promise, the land of Israel, the land where there is a God who is real and a God who is powerful. I want to watch her, and I'm going to do what she does. I'm going to follow her example. And she does, and she stays committed to it. And what happens? She's the Greek... I didn't can't count the greats, but she's the great, 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 great grandmother of the Savior. Just a young woman who chose an example that was the right one. And she followed that example. She hadn't a clue she was going to marry a Boaz. She didn't have a clue that down through the generations that followed her, there would come the Messiah of God. But that's what happened. Following faith and a faithful heritage. I want you to think as well about what we read in Hebrews chapter 12 and in Philippians chapter 3. And it has to do with freshening our focus. If you ever use a uh, computer program that uh, you, you walk away from a little while, and you go and hit the, you wiggle the mouse, and it comes up on, on the screen, and, and there's a button that pops up, and it says, refresh, refresh. What's it saying? It's saying this. It's saying that the information that we have right now is old stuff, and we need to refresh it. We, we need to bring it right up to today, right right up to the here and to the now. We, we need to know just exactly what is going on. So you hit the button, and the, the screen does whatever it does, and, and you say, oh, that wasn't there before, and uh, this is new, and uh, that's gone, and it, it's, it's refreshed. Well, just today, just this afternoon, just this weekend, I hope that God has allowed us to just get a fresh, a freshening, a refreshing of our focus of where we're looking, of what we're considering. A couple of questions that we might ask. Where are you looking? Where are you looking? If you look around yourself in this world, it'll depress you really fast. I mean, the, the people in the world, when, when they look around, and, and I overhear it all the time, people are saying, what's, what's wrong with this world? What's happening in this world? I mean, how much... How much worse can it get? Well, they have no idea how much worse it's going to get. We don't, we don't have to keep our eye there. We, we, can, we can readjust, we can refresh our focus on something that is much loftier. What are you looking for? In your life, what are you looking for? Well, there's, there's all these things that I want, all these things that I have in mind to do. And, 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 and that's what I, you know, that's, that's sort of what I have my eye on. And we'll get to what Paul says there in Philippians chapter 3 in just a moment. Let 
What's your goal? We considered that very briefly. Back in uh, July of 1952, a woman by the name of Florence Chadwick, she was a world-renowned swimmer. And um, on that particular day, she had planned to swim the 21 miles from Catalina Island off of the Pacific coast to Palos Verde on the coast itself. And so she set out. The water was very cold. The fog was very heavy. And there were a lot of sharks. That would dissuade me right off the bat. I don't want to be shark bait for any day. But there were boats that were supporting her and going along with her. And in one of the boats was her mother. And in that same boat was her trainer. And she swam for the hours that it took her. And she kept swimming. It was a very difficult swim. It was very hard for her to see even those boats that were so close to her. That's how thick the fog was. And so she began to talk about quitting. And her mother said, come on, just keep going. You'll, you'll, you'll reach the shore, but you have to keep going. Her trainer said the same. And finally, Florence said, I quit. I'm done. She didn't know that she was only a half mile from the course from the coast when she quit. When asked about it a little bit later, she said this, If I could have seen the land, I could have made it. The fog had made her unable to see the goal. So I ask again, what are we looking for? What are we looking at? Remember the Lord Jesus on the uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying to his disciples, and as you well are are well aware, primarily the words of that sermon were to his disciples; they were to his own. And and he and he's saying to them, and if you allow me just to summarize it and paraphrase it a little bit, I, I will. He's saying up for them. He says, "Don't don't lay up up for yourselves treasures on earth." That, you know, moth and rust can corrupt and destroy. Thieves can come in and steal those things that you lay up for yourselves on earth. Rather, lay up for yourselves in heaven, where there is no rust, there are no moths, and thieves cannot break through and steal. And then he says this, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What's our treasure? What do you and I treasure? What's, well, we've just been hearing about idolatry. What's that idol? When, when the Apostle John said in 1 John 5, verse 21, he says, Little children, my dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Make sure you stay away from those things that will capture your affections and capture your attention. Keep yourselves from them. Keep those things at a distance. Cut them down, knock them down, pulverize them. Get rid of the whole thing, as we have just heard. And lay up for yourselves treasures that are there. A very wealthy Christian woman had a dream one day. 
And uh, she dreamed that she went to heaven and someone met her at the door and was uh, sent to escort her to her mansion. So she's walking down the street and she sees some incredible places. I don't think it's going to be like that, but because uh, the word isn't mansion really, it's apartments. But uh, bear with me in the illustration. And, and they're going down the street and she's seeing all these just beautiful mansions all along the street. And, and her guide stops and says, you see that one right there? And it was a nice one. Um, your servant owns that one. She, so she's starting to think. She says, well, if my servant owns that one, man, I can't wait to see mine. So they keep walking down the street and things aren't looking just quite as good as they did. And they, they sort of get to the end of a street and there's this little tiny, not a shack, but close to it. And the man says, uh, well, here you go. This is your place. She says, wait a second, there has to be a mistake here. I mean, my servant, look, look at what my servant had, and, and uh, look, this is mine? And the man said, we could only build with what you sent up. We could only build with what you sent on ahead. And this was it. What are we sending on? What are we sending on ahead? Where's our treasure? Because that's where our heart is. And that's where our occupation will be. May God help us to have the mind that the Apostle Paul had. You see, Paul, in writing in chapter 3, he begins chapter 3 of Philippians by by saying something like this. He says, you want to hear a pedigree? You want to hear a good resume? I'll give it to you. And he gives you one of the best resumes, as far as a Jew was concerned, that there could possibly be. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he goes on and he lists the whole thing. And he says, you know what? When I think of Christ, when I think of all that I have in Christ, all the blessings that I have in Christ, all of that is just a pile of garbage. And that's how I think of it. Nothing but waste. He says, I, I want to win Christ. I want to get to know Him. And he says, I have been apprehended by the Christ. And he was literally apprehended on the Damascus Road, wasn't he? He was stopped. And there he is, this um, important man as far as the Jewish religion was concerned. He's down on his face, on the dust, on the ground, and he is facing the risen Christ, the one that he was persecuting. And what does he say, Lord? What do you want me to do? We know the story of his life, at least... uh, in some simple way or in some minimal way. Paul says in chapter 3, after that, he says, um, I, I'm, I haven't arrived yet. I, I'm not everything that God saved me to be yet. He says, but one thing I do. And this gets to the point. One thing I do. There's one thing that is in my focus It's in the midst of the binoculars as I look down the rest of my life. Down there is a goal. Down there is a prize. And he says, I'm not going to let what the past was, I'm not going to let that deter me. I'm not going to let that drag me down. He says, I'm going to forget the past the things that are past, all of these things that he's talked about in the early part of the chapter, and there are certainly other applications that we might bring in there, but he says, this is what I want to do. He says, I want 
to think forward. I want to move forward, and I press. I press. I press towards the prize of the high, goal, uh, high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That word press means this. It means to move rapidly and decisively toward an objective. Am I speaking to someone here today? And way deep down, if you're honest, and maybe you'd be embarrassed to say it publicly, what you really want, I want to be a man or a woman for God. If that's your goal, never lose sight of it. And know this, that God will honor that. Will it be smooth? Probably not. Was it smooth for Paul? You know it wasn't. Was it good? Oh, yeah. It was so good. So much blessing to so many people in so many parts of the world. I don't think any of us can... Well, we're a result. We're a result of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. The result of the Apostle Paul is, is a great deal of the book, this New Testament that we read. What, what, what did he say? Where did it start? Lord, what do you want me to do? Have you ever said that to God, honestly? Don't say it trivially because you might be surprised. What do you want me to do? Oh, he's got great plans. Just like a Ruth. He had great plans for that young woman. She didn't have a clue what it was, but I will, I, I'm going to serve God. If you will serve God, dear young brother and sister, and older ones, there's no age limit here. Because Paul was an older man when he's saying this. The rewards are far more than I know how to describe. They may not be on earth. In fact, likely they won't be. But they will be there. And that brings me to my last point. I finish briefly. And that is the idea of finishing with fulfillment. Finishing with fulfillment. I had the privilege of spending a number of years working with Brother Paul Kimber. He was a mentor to me early on in the work. And um, I think of him, this was 15 years ago, I think of Paul probably every week at least once. The, a day or two before he died, he had been in Grand Bend, Ontario for the weekend it's a ministry, and um, on the way home that night, back to St. Thomas, uh, Paul said to Phyllis's wife, they talked about what he had spoken on, and he said, you know, I have no regrets. Hmm. I don't know that I could say that right now today. He did. He talked about some specifics. But he had basically sort of settled everything. You know, everything was taken care of. He had no idea that he was going to be with the Lord in just a couple of days. He didn't know that. But he says, I have no regrets. Paul Kemper finished very well. 
I want to finish well. Hebrews chapter 11. Enoch had this testimony. He pleased God. Wouldn't that be great to have on your tombstone? What a wonderful epitaph. She pleased God. You say, is that possible for me? Oh, yeah. You all by yourself can touch the Lord and touch his hearts. What were the things that touched the Lord's hearts? Think about it just for a minute in passing. What what were some... He was touched by two little mites that a widow put in a, put in a basket, if you will. It touched his heart. He, he said to his, his disciples, see, you see that? You see what she just did? You see what she put in? Two, two little mites. You say, that's nothing. Oh, yeah, it is. To him it is. We were hearing last night about the woman who brought that, that, that container, that, that vase of, of, of porcelain, and in it was ointment. It touched his heart, and you know what he said? He said, what she's done today, I'll make sure that for the rest of the history, people know about it. And here we are, 2,000 years later. It touched his heart. Mary. What, what, what was it about Mary, at least on this occasion, that uh, touched his heart? She just sat down at his feet. She just spent time with him. Do you know that you spending time with God means a lot to him? He wants that relationship. He wants that closeness, that communion, that harmony. That's what touches his heart. Someday all of us, is we're all going to finish. And when we do, and I don't know all the logistics, I don't know how it's all going to happen or where or exactly when, But the day is coming, I believe, before we get to heaven, that we're going to look at him. And he is going to be seated on a bima. He is going to be seated on the judgment seat, not the great white throne of judgment. That's for the lost. There's no hope for anyone who appears at that judgment seat. But the judgment seat of Christ, you... And I are going to look into the eyes, into the face, on the hands of the man that died for us. And the question that I ask myself is, will I have anything to give him? Will I have anything to offer to him? Just out of devotion and commitment and love to the one who in his hands bears fresh wounds of a cross. You remember that, and I know that there's a certain dispensational truth to it, but you remember that um, the master of the house went away and he left his servants and he gave one of them, he gave ten talents and one five talents and one one talent and... um, The man that had ten talents, when the man came back, the master came back and said, it's time to to do a review here. And and he comes in, and we don't read that he was excited, but I'm sure there was a certain level of excitement because he said, here's what you gave me, and and I doubled it. I've brought you even more than you gave me. And 
And, uh, of course, the master says, well done, you've been faithful. And the man with a five, he does exactly the same. He doubles it. Now, and I'm not sure if the other guy heard about or saw or was a witness of all that. Probably not. We're witnesses, though, right now here today as we think about it. And so here comes the man, and he says, um, Master, here's what you gave me. I don't have anything to give you. Is that the way it's going to be when I stand before him? I don't have anything to give you. There's a song that we sing very often. I gave my life for thee. And the end of that course, that verse says, What have you given for me? Just as I finish... Many here, I'm sure, have uh, had the wonderful experience of um, the productions at Sight and Sound. I remember the first time many years ago when uh, we were driving by the marquee that said, Behold the Lamb. We didn't know what it was. We found out there were two seats left, so we went in, and I'm so glad we did. At the end of the presentation of the life and the, the, the crucifixion, of the Lord Jesus Christ and his burial and his resurrection. At the very end, there is a scene that I hope I never forget. Because as the, as the curtain pulls aside, everything is in dazzling white. And the man who played that part of Christ is sitting on a beautiful throne high. The lights in the room are black lights. And down through the aisles, if you've ever been there, that's how they do it. They, they, they come right amongst you. And there's all, all the saints in white, dazzling garments, carrying crowns. And they're walking towards the throne. And with robust voices, they're singing, crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne. May God help us to finish well. Maybe we're done today. I don't know. Or tomorrow. Or maybe you're done. Or maybe I'm done today. Whenever it is, may God help us to finish well. And in our life, at the end of that, at the end of that life, and when we stand and look into that face, what did John say? He says, we don't know what we will be. But we do know that when we shall see him, we will be like him. For we shall see him as he is. That we might in that day say, I have this for you. May God bless his word. May God bless each of you. And encourage you to live for God. Because truly, it's all. It's all that eternally matters. May God bless his word.